HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today we are talking labor. I think I advertised earlier in the summer that I was going to do a series of programs on labor issues in the United States related to our, you know, sort of basically farm to table. Lots of people that encompass that that stratum of society. So uh, today my guest is Bruce Goldstein. Uh, He is president of Farm Worker Justice, a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. This is a national organization that empowers farm workers to improve their wages, working conditions, occupational safety, health, immigration policy, and access to justice. So you can see we have once again tapped into the Mac Daddy of information on all of the issues that face uh, labor in uh, fields and restaurants, possibly even restaurants. We don't know about that. We'll find out. But farm workers anyway. Um, Bruce's activities have included advocacy in administrative agencies in Congress, building coalitions, advising grassroots organizations, litigating high-impact cases against employers and government. Love to talk to you about that sometime, Bruce. Training of legal professionals and shaping public opinion through publications and the media. FJ, or rather Farm Worker Justice, is a national leader in advocating for immigration reform legislation, improving labor and occupational safety protections, and expanding access to health care. Uh, it was begun in 1981. I'm not going to keep going here, um, but Bruce has been, uh, pr- if you haven't noticed, Bruce has been much in the news over the last four to six months. Um, this issue that we're going to be talking about today, which is talking about today, which is um, the rolling back of a of an essential survey used to determine farm worker wages. Um, that this controversy has started, I think, in April. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bruce, um, and continues to this day. So, so Bruce, take it away, my friend. Tell us about farm worker justice and um, and what you guys do on a day to day. Well, thanks very much for having me, Katie. We really appreciate it. Yes, I'm the head of Farm Worker sure. Justice. Uh, I am an attorney by trade, and I've been with the organization since 1988. It was founded in 1981. And um, we've always focused uh, heavily on immigration policy because the lack of immigration status that uh, many farm workers have it really deprives them of the bargaining power they need and of the legal rights uh, that other people have. So immigration reform, that is to 
try to get farm workers and their family members who are undocumented, a documented immigration status and path to citizenship is a big priority. Mm -hmm. We've always uh, worked a lot around wages and working conditions, occupational safety and health and access to health care. So issues like uh, pesticides and heat stress with these um, heat waves that have been happening on the West Coast. Uh, smoke from the wildfires is a big issue for farm workers who yeah. work on safety and health and access to health care because um, most farm workers don't get employer provided health insurance. There is a system of uh, federally funded health centers. We uh, help farm workers access those and we help those centers understand how uh, better to reach farm workers. Fantastic. We have so much to talk about. Like, I'm, you know, I'm going to, if you'll permit me, we will schedule another date a couple, uh, couple months down the road to talk about the immigration issues um, that are sort of at the root of so many problems and, and also that have such an impact on our food system in general, which people don't really seem to grasp what, what it, it's, it's a huge subject. We will return to that. So let's start by talking about um, this, uh, Farm worker survey. The USDA announced, I think in April, correct me if I'm wrong, that they were canceling uh, the farm worker survey. Tell us what that survey is and how does that, what is the, the impact on farm wages as a result of this decision? Okay, well, the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, um, does a lot of data collection and analysis about agriculture. Um, and one of the many uh, pieces of information that they collect uh, has to do with farm workers, the people who work on farms and ranches uh, to cultivate and harvest our crops and and uh, work on dairy farms and and other uh, agricultural businesses. Uh, so that's who we serve. That's who farm worker justice serves, the people who work on farms and ranches uh, as, as workers. The, f- the farm labor survey of the USDA has been going on for about 100 years. And it serves wow. a lot of purposes. It, it, um, mm-hmm. It's a statistically valid survey. It's done by asking agricultural employers, that is farms, uh, in, for information about their payroll and about their workers and about the wages um, and the number of hours that workers are working and the number of workers that they hire each year. So um, for a long time, this survey's findings about farm workers' wages has been used by the U.S. Department of Labor to set one of the main minimum wages for what's known as the H-2A Agricultural Guest Worker Program. So if an employer Mm -hmm. wants to bring in foreign workers claiming that it's got a labor shortage, it has to offer certain minimum wages and working conditions. The Farm Labor Survey's annual wage uh, survey results are used by the Department of Labor to set those wage rates. Right. So, agri- so okay, just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nitpick just a little bit here. So when the USDA sends out the questionnaire or however they format the survey to uh, agricultural entities, farms, um, and are, are they, are, are the farmers happy to give that information? Is it, is it helpful? Do they view this as a tool that helps them or do they view it as something that is going to cost them more money? Like, is the compliance good is, I guess, what I'm asking. Right. Um, it's good. En- the compliance by agricultural employers with this farm labor survey is good enough that it results in statistically valid information 
um, mm -hmm. for every region of the country every year. Uh, there are a lot of businesses that don't participate. Um, you know, we all don't participate in every survey that, that comes our way. Um, and some of them are concerned that the wage survey results uh, harm them because it shows what the wages are. And then the U.S. Department of Agriculture uses those wage survey results for the H-2A guest worker program. And some of them feel like if they didn't report, uh, well, then maybe the wages in the H-2A guest worker program would be lower. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk about how many people would be affected by um, about by this failure to conduct a survey. And, 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 and you, you pointed, you clarified for me that this affects not just H-2A visa workers, but also American farm workers. Um, so what percentage of the labor force, in fact, does this have an impact on? Is it everyone who works in farm labor or just the, you know, I just want to get that granular, you know, thing. Because I was a little confused, to be honest. No, it's a, a good, great yeah, question, and it's not well known. Um, not many people know anything about the H-2A guest worker program. But uh, let mm -hmm. me start by saying that there are, are an estimated 2.5 million farm workers in the United States. Okay. Um, of that amount, um, something like 10% are guest workers on temporary work visas under this H-2A guest worker program. So um, in gotcha. 2019, the U.S. Department of Labor approved uh, a little over 250,000 jobs in the U.S. to be filled by guest workers at the request of employers who said that they were having um, labor shortages. So yeah. the, the, um, the H-2A program wage requirements apply to an employer that's applying for permission to hire guest workers. So once an employer applies, then the um, these wage rates under the H-2A program must be offered and paid to both their guest workers and to the U.S. farm workers uh, that they employ as well. Okay, so that 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 answer, that's a great answer because that, that says that, in other words, it's not just these uh, short-term uh, you know, migrant workers who are coming in, but it's but it's really the entire 2.5 million farm laborers are affected by this survey. That's what I want to I want to drill on that. Like everybody is going to lose essentially if they manage to um, not conduct a survey and not not uh, and then tie the wages to whatever the lower state or federal minimum wage is in that area, right? Potentially, Isn't that what um, happened? it, it could be that, that widespread. The, the, the H-2A guest worker program, which has been around in one form or another since World War II, um, has a basic protection in it. And the protection under the law is that the employers that bring in guest workers have to offer wages and working conditions that won't displace or undermine the labor standards of existing U.S. farm workers. The... It's been understood for many, many decades that employers can find foreign citizens in poor countries who will take jobs at very low wages inside the United States oh, yeah. at, at levels that U.S. workers can't afford. So if there were no limits on what the wage rates were, then the employers could bring in foreign workers and exploit them and displace U.S. foreign workers who couldn't afford to take the jobs. Or if they did, 
um, their wages would be lower because without the wage protections, the employers could offer what they want uh, to satisfy the foreign workers from poor countries. So potentially, wow. yes, the, um, the, it's been recognized that the guest worker program for agriculture can have as big of an impact as virtually every farm worker in the country. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is really a big, big deal to have the USD to suspend this, this survey. Um, just, to, just to give people some concrete examples of what we're talking about, when, when they... Wait, Bruce, before we do that, should we talk about the AEWR, the adverse effect wage rate, which you kind of just described, but not with using that terminology? So the adverse effective wage rate that you just talked about, that, that's, that's when uh, they have to determine that, they're, that the guest worker is not being paid less than current federal or state wages, correct? Well, right. The, um, the, the, the law says that employers seeking permission to bring in guest workers um, can't get permission if the wages and working conditions that they offer would quote unquote adversely affect the wages and working conditions of US farm workers. And so there's something called the adverse effect wage rate. Um, right. And the idea is it's, it's kind of like a prevailing wage. It says that you gotta look at the uh, wages being paid in agriculture in the United States and at least offer that um, to, to US farm workers before a business is allowed to go to a foreign country and hire uh, uh, people to come in on temporary work visas. So that's what the adverse right. effect wage rate is. And the, the way for many, many, many years, the way the adverse effect wage rate is set is by this USDA farm labor survey. Right. And so that's what uh, the USDA it just happened a couple of weeks ago. The USDA suddenly announced that it's not going to do the survey and so there won't be the results for the U.S. Department of Labor to set the adverse effect wage rate for 2021. Right. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, and without, well, I was just going to say, give the let's get a concrete example of what that's going to mean. So, say the average. So, say a farm worker in uh, you know Wisconsin is paid 11.25 an hour. Without the adverse effect wage rate coming into play, then if a guest worker came in, you know, without, then, then they could theoretically be paid something much lower than that. I guess what I'm trying to get at is the disparity of what happens if you don't go with the sort of prevailing wind of what that farm worker wage would be versus what, say, the local, uh, you know, state minimum wage is. Because it can be right. a huge difference, correct? Let's, yes. let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, in many places, there's a huge difference. So, for example, you mentioned Wisconsin. The Farm Labor Survey uh, found that the average hourly wage rate for farm workers in Wisconsin was $14.40 an hour. And so that, during 2020, that's the wage rate that is the adverse effect wage rate under the H-2A guest worker program in 2020 right. in Wisconsin. If they had not done the wage survey, if USDA had not done the farm labor survey uh, uh, for this year, for 2020, then 
the uh, wage rate would be, would have been um, the state minimum wage. And the state Thank minimum you. wage in Wisconsin is $7.25 an hour. Right. So, Thank you. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so when another, you extrapolate, yeah. Yeah. Another example Sorry, is in New York, um, the, uh, the, 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 the H2A adverse effect wage rate in 2020 uh, is $14.29 an hour. Uh, if they hadn't done the survey for this year and there was no adverse effect wage rate, uh, most workers would have been offered the state minimum wage, uh, which is uh, $11.80. So they would have lost $2.49 per hour. Um, yeah. And there, I can go through a number of other states. Uh, there's some, in some states, there's some pretty, also like Wisconsin, some pretty dramatic uh, differences. Georgia is one of yeah, the Yeah, I would imagine pieces. in the South, I was, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the South has got to be really egregious. Tell us about Georgia. Yeah. So Georgia <laughs> is one of the biggest users of the H-2A guest worker program. Um, they, mm -hmm. they use like 30,000 uh, H-2A guest workers in a year. And the, well, the state minimum wage is five fifteen an hour. But um, under the H-2A program, you have to pay the higher of the federal or state minimum wage. So for the H-2A program, if there was no ad adverse effect wage rate, it would be the federal minimum wage of seven twenty-five an hour. Well, in Georgia wow. this year, the adverse effect wage rate, based on the farm, USDA Farm Labor Survey, is eleven seventy-one an hour. So this year, the right. workers would have been able to be paid four dollars and forty-six cents an hour less than what they were required to be paid in Georgia. Right. I mean, it's just it's breathtaking. So let's let's now that we've made that you know jaw-dropping. Uh, illustration of what it means to have lost this survey for 2021. Um, how long, I mean, is, has every administration been pressured to do away with the, uh, with this survey in order to be able to effectively lower wages uh, or is it, or is it really kind of unique to the Trump administration? Uh Agribusiness groups have been lobbying for years to get rid of mm -hmm. the adverse effect wage rate or change the methodology to substantially lower the wages required under the H-2A guest worker program. So this is not new. Um, in Under the uh, Bush, the second Bush administration, George W., mm -hmm. um, at the very end, um, his secretary of labor, Elaine Chow, did change the methodology and lowered it. Um, but as soon as President Obama took office and appointed Hilda Solis to be Secretary of Labor, uh, Secretary of Labor Solis changed the methodology back to, to the current one. Um, mm -hmm. So th there have been constant efforts to lower the wages in the H-2A program by agribusiness, both through administrative action um, and, and in Congress. So we've been beating back legislative proposals that are pending right now, actually, in the U.S. Congress mm -hmm. to slash the wages under the H-2A program. Wow. Listen, we're going to take a very short break. And by that, I mean literally a second, because then our sponsor drop will be uh, factored in by my, my wonderful engineer, Jess. Um, so we're going to take that short break, but we're going to come right back and uh, talk more with Bruce Goldstein from Farm Worker Justice uh, 
about the impact of losing this survey and what that means going forward for 2021, should they prevail uh, ultimately in their goals here. So stay tuned for more. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy, despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. So we are back. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. My guest, Bruce Goldstein from Farm Worker Justice, is explaining the impact of uh, the loss of a very important and little-known survey called um, called the uh, Farm Worker Survey, which determines wages uh, not only for guest workers, but in, to some measure to American workers, correct? So um, that is right, right? Like they can't, yes. they can't pay American workers something different from what they pay the the uh, guest workers. So correct. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about um, what has one of the things that has catalyzed or made this such an appealing move for the Trump administration, which is that with the pandemic shuttering so much of the institutional food system, i.e., like restaurant, you know, so many restaurants, so many schools, so many universities, all these people who are, you know, rely on those big. Uh, agribusiness, um, or excuse me, those big institutional contracts. T- talk to us about why, um, you know, why, because in a way this seems a little short-sighted to me. Why Why is this so very popular um, with the agricultural industry? Because I can imagine this kind of coming back to bite you um, in coming years in terms of how many people are going to make that trip to the United States to pick peaches in Georgia or, you know, tomatoes in California. Like, I could see there being some serious labor shortages in the future um, that won't be so easily filled by this particular category of workers. You know, is there no sense of <laughs> of continuity here? Of like, you know, life going on? There might be a time when the pandemic is over, maybe? <laughs> you know, just wondering? Yeah, well, you raise a lot of issues all in that one question. Uh, I, you know, I first, do. Uh, <laughs> first, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. The, no, it's okay. The the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic has really been devastating to farm workers. They were designated as essential workers, so they're expected to go to work. And very, very, very few farm workers get health insurance or paid sick leave. Um, and many Thank are you. not covered by the protections that were passed by Congress uh, for, for the pandemic. So um, farm workers are really suffering. Um, there have been a lot of outbreaks at um, 
agricultural workplaces around the country and not much um, infrastructure uh, to support them. Uh, so it's, diff it's it's very difficult and, and, and it is frustrating because a lot of employers in agriculture will say, you know, we depend on our workers, we, we treat them like family, um, but, you know, it, Unfortunately, uh, for a lot of agribusiness, it's it's all talk and, and, and no action. And and for a lot of agricultural employers, their view is that getting the lowest possible wage is the best way to do business. And um, luckily for us, there are actually some employers in agriculture who don't believe that, that they, they actually believe in modern labor relations in agriculture. That is, they believe that if you treat... <laughs> It's 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 not been true, frankly, for many decades. But there's there's an increasing number of agricultural employers that are saying, you know, we recognize now that if we treat farm workers not only like human beings, but as important, playing important roles in our business, and as exercising judgment, not just working as fast as possible, they can actually help us improve productivity, and and not just uh, by forcing them to work as fast as possible as beasts of burden and make them more profitable. And so a lot of the reason why you see a lot of the wage rates I just described earlier as higher than the minimum wage is because there mm -hmm. are a lot of employers that are saying, you know what, to keep uh, workers uh, coming back, I actually need to treat them a little bit better. They still don't offer fringe benefits like health insurance, paid sick leave, but the wages yeah. have for housing. That doesn't make them sick, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Right. So, you know, the wages have improved modestly, but unfortunately, uh, there's still a lot of agribusinesses that create these trade associations like the Farm Bureau, and they just mm -hmm. relentlessly lobby for the um, least amount of regulation possible, the lowest amount of protections, the lowest wages possible. Yes. They certainly do. I mean, I myself follow the meat industry really closely. For some reason, I have a slight obsession with that. You don't know that about me, but I'm going to tell you now. I actually wrote a book about industrial meat production around the world. So like, I really actually do pay attention to these things quite seriously. Um, so let's let's talk for a second about this decision. So you're, you know, it occurs to me that there are so many different things in play here because there's immigration policies and politics at play in this. I mean, it seems to me there would be because all of these are guest workers. They're coming from other countries. They're coming from what, you know, President Trump would like to call shithole countries. There's, you know, you know, and yet we, we, our food system would collapse without these people. That's a fact. So the businesses that you're talking about are kind of taking a longer view. That's a very refreshing thing. But what we really see is the continued exploitation of, uh, you know, of guest workers. So would you say this whole, you know, effort over the years is 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 about immigration politics? Is it more about uh, the election, you know, the coming election and pandering to agribusinesses, and that's why they're making such a determined push for this? Or is it really just agribusiness, you know, yanking on the on the chains uh, of the Trump administration, saying, "Come on, guys, you know, you've had four years. You could have gotten rid of this three years ago. Like, what are we doing here? What do you think is going on?" Yeah, I, kind of the latter. I, you know, I think you've kind of put your finger on it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of agribusiness groups that want the lowest possible wage and the least bit of regulation. And they're saying to the administration, hey, four years is almost up. You haven't done enough for us. So, um, you know, slash the wages in the H-2A program, uh, get rid of the protections. 
and uh, and we'll continue to vote for you. And so, uh, Sonny Perdue, who took the lead on uh, these these uh, agricultural guest worker issues, uh, even though it's, it's the Department of Labor, not the Department of Agriculture, that really runs the H two A program. Uh, Sonny mm. Perdue is saying to them, "Hey, continue to vote for uh, Trump. We're going to deliver for you. And here's one way we're going to deliver: we're going to cancel this 100-year-old farm labor survey that's been used uh, by the Department of Labor to to set the, the wages." Right. So the farm worker survey, uh, in many of the articles that I read about this before this interview, um, was described as redundant by the USDA. Um, and that's their excuse for canceling. They don't need to spend the money on conducting this survey because the, you know, all of that information about wages is available in other forms. But that's not what I'm hearing from your side of it. Um, and so are there, but are there in fact similar ways of accessing this information in a format that is readily available to employers and that they can rely on as accurate and appropriate? I mean, or... Or is he? Are, are they actually right in saying we don't really need the farm worker survey? Uh, it's false. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Categorically, okay. It's, it is yeah, false. I usually don't have to answer sentences with one word, but this one's an easy one. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, but the USDA farm labor survey it it asks thousands of agricultural employers detailed questions about the farm workers they hire and their payrolls and. And, and other information. And there is no other entity in government or, huh. you know, universities that ask farms those questions. So there is okay. no other source for the information. The Department of Labor Bureau of Labor Statistics does a lot of non-farm uh, surveying. Uh, and they do ask questions of um, certain labor contractors, uh, but no, the, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics does not survey farms. They, they said, well, the USDA does that, so we're not going to survey farms. So no, it's not okay. uh, redundant. And the cancellation of the farm labor survey means that that data goes away. So in other words, the Economic Research Service, which you know, I would have thought would be the ones who do this, actually. It's actually, a national, other... it's an, actually a national agricultural statistics service that does this survey. Okay. The Economic Research Service does some other work around all these issues. Mm -hmm. But it does not replicate this, is what I'm trying to get at. In other words, because as we all know, the ERS has also been absolutely gutted by this administration. So it wouldn't surprise me that even if there was once, a, once upon a time information that the ERS was providing, it's certainly, you know, likely that they wouldn't be able to supply it now because they're simply so decimated. Um, so let's, let's move along then since, and talk more about the wages, you know, or, or really to go back to that, what I said before about like the long-term projections, um, you know, having somebody who goes into Georgia every year and knows which peach to pick and which peach not to pick is a skill set. So, you know, it kind of, Again, it's like it's kind of mind blowing that there is no force. There's no sense of, of future. It's just drill it down to the lowest possible. So then you get less and less experienced workers and that has an impact. I know we already covered this. I shouldn't even ask you this question. Scratch it because we really did cover this. It's like some agribusinesses get that they need high quality workers and some of them 
just don't care, I guess is the answer to that, right? Right, but you're so, right. But, but I mean, on the, in the long run, agriculture is not viable in this country if they don't start recognizing that farm workers are skilled, that they, that they can make the company profitable and very yeah. productive if the farm workers are recognized yeah. as that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of amazing to me um, because it's just so incredibly short-sighted. And also, I, let's point out for a second here that these migrant workers, these people, these uh, guest workers come in to do things like pick peaches or tomatoes. These are jobs that American workers, generally speaking, do not want. They're too hard. Am I right? Yes. Now, of course, you know, if, if there are plenty of hard jobs in this country, and there are plenty of seasonal jobs in this country. For example, teachers, I mean, they're paid a salary that gets them through an entire year. So, uh, you know, arguably, if, if uh, a lot of years ago, we had started to pay farm workers a decent wage based on what it takes to live on during a 12-month period, um, even if they only work seasonally, and if we offered them health insurance and paid sick leave and other benefits that a lot of other workers get, there would have been more stability in the farm labor force. There wouldn't have been such high turnover. But right at this point, right. Um, you know, 80% or more of farm workers are immigrants. And a majority right. of farm workers are undocumented immigrants. And the reason yeah. is that the jobs are often so difficult and, and, and so, poor paying, <coughs> so poor paying that, that uh, you know, other, a lot of people won't stay in the job. They'll, they'll move on. Yeah, right. So, so how much, I mean, one of the things that they say that, you know, in the, the argument against uh, having a higher wage for workers, because in the wake of the pandemic, these agribusinesses have lost so much money. Um, and so they use the, uh, like the Western Growers Association was quoted in one article I read about, you know, this has to do with securing our food supply. But I, I, that doesn't really ring very true for me. I mean, would you say that that agribusinesses are in danger of going belly up because they might have to pay their workers, you know, eleven dollars instead of seven dollars? How reasonable do you think that claim is on their part? It's totally unreasonable. Um, there are studies that show that we could increase farm workers' wages by something like forty percent. So, for example, yeah. if a farm worker makes ten dollars an hour. You pay them $14 an hour instead. And the impact on uh, households in this country would be something like $46 a year. And, and wow. It's mind blowing. And the, the reason is that <coughs> Excuse me. You know, food is not a huge percentage of, of the money we pay each year. But more importantly, farm workers' wages are a tiny fraction of the cost mm. of, of the food in the store. And so if we were to increase farm workers' wages substantially and just uh, directly increase the price to the consumer without anybody in the middle absorbing that, um, it, it would be this very nominal amount of money. So no. Even it, if you factored in things like, even if you factored in things like offering health insurance or paid medical leave? Yeah, well. That's, can, that's the sticking point for all of these companies. They all say, oh, we can't possibly do that. I mean, it's that's, my belief that immigration reform has not happened because they do not want to pay those things. Well, 
that, to muddy the that, waters. That forty percent right? could be spread around. It could be in any form of compensation. So it could be increasing the wages per hour, like by by twenty percent, and then the rest could be paying for health insurance and okay. and and sick leave. Um, right. Yeah. So the, 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 there are ways I mean, to do it's, this. It's, it's- there are ways to do it. And I mean, the thing that's interesting is I, you know, looking at the broad spectrum, not just farm workers, but anybody who works in the food industry, qua food industry, I don't care if you're picking apples or you're waiting tables at Applebee's or you're working at McDonald's. I mean, essentially we, the consumer are paying for a lot of the services that end up going back out to those communities, maybe not so much the undocumented, but um, certainly uh, low wage earners who work in that food system. And the reason is because they do not have access to those very, very basic, uh, you know, a strong uh, fundamental, a strong wage, uh, you know, a healthcare system and a, and paid medical leave. I mean, it's like, and especially in the face of COVID, it's like the idea that we're not addressing these issues head on. Well, okay, I'm going to digress. And I know we can't, I won't keep you too much longer, Bruce. I'm really sorry. I've been a little scatterbrained today. But, but one thing I want to ask you about is what do you see in the Biden platform, if anything, uh, that suggests reform or progress for this specific um, section of food workers? Well, um, you know, I haven't looked very closely at the Biden platform. I had looked closely at um, Senator Kamala Harris's platform when she was running for president. And um, mm-hmm. it, it uh, and, and I, I hope that... Uh, Vice President Biden uh, has similar a similar platform. You know, she called for a lot of the things that we want and, and that farm workers need. So one is immigration reform that allows undocumented farm workers and their family members a path to immigration status and mm-hmm. to citizenship. And we actually worked with agribusiness groups to pass a bill like that in the House of Representatives last uh, December, but the Senate, you know, has refused to take it up. Uh, so immigration reform is key. Um, H-2A reform is key. So you know, the, the wages actually are too low. The oversight is not uh, tight enough. Uh, benefits are not uh, good enough. Lots has to happen with that. Labor rights. Farm workers continue to be deprived of the same labor rights uh, that other workers get, like overtime pay. Even child labor rules discriminate against far- farm workers, uh, allow kids to be hired at younger ages. Um and and the, the the laws that do apply to farm workers, like the minimum wage, are not enforced adequately. And therefore, a lot of people, a lot of growers feel like, well, you know, others are cheating. I'll cheat because, you know, I'm not likely to get caught. And, and that gets back to the need for immigration reform. Because the majority of farm workers are undocumented, they're often unwilling to step forward and complain to their employer or file sure. a lawsuit. Um, and so, you know, conditions can't really improve substantially. Uh, you know, until we have uh, immigration reform. Finally, one, one last thing I, I just mentioned is is corporate responsibility initiatives. Uh, we are working with some agribusiness groups and retailers uh, to say, uh, you know, to, 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 to agree on standards um, and empowering workers in the workplace to speak up without fear of retaliation and work with their mm-hmm. employers to address problems, solve them, in, in ways that benefit both the company's product, productivity and profitability and the workers need. And we have some retailers like Costco and Whole Foods, some others are getting in that are willing to pay for that um, uh, extra added 
guarantee that workers in their supply chains are not being exploited. So all of these things are, and, and more are needed. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so now, thank you so much, Bruce. That was a, really a great closing statement. Um, and now it is, I do have to let you go. I promised I would uh, long ago. Um, so, but now is your moment to promote farm worker justice uh, shamelessly. Where can people learn more? Uh, do you have a newsletter that goes out? Can they sign up for that to learn more about labor relations in this country as a whole? Um, tell me everything. Great. Actually, we have a, a farm workers point. Sorry. <laughs> our uh, website, farmworkerjustice.org, has a wealth of information about farm workers and about the policy issues that we've been talking about and many others, about the problems that uh, farm workers face in many ways, and many solutions uh, to those problems, including um, reports about the H2A program, about wage rates, about enforcement of workers' rights. Uh, you can get links to a uh, training film about uh, sexual violence in workplaces and the remedies uh, for them. Uh, just a, a lot of information. We also um, are active on social media. You can visit us on Facebook, on Twitter, and uh, YouTube, uh, and on Instagram. Cool. And, um, you know, we... we you know, we're able to do our work. We're a small organization, but very impactful. We have lawyers and health professionals and other staff working to help farmer groups throughout the country to empower the workers to improve their uh, their living and working conditions. But we really depend on the support of people uh, like those in the audience, uh, you know, for, to be able to carry <laughs> out that work. So I hope people yeah. will visit our website and uh, donate. We we have different ways of donating. Uh, we have uh, online auction, um, and we have uh, a matching challenge grant. Uh, so uh, we hope you'll be generous and uh, help us help farm workers. Absolutely, Bruce. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this show with me. Um, and I and I really hope that you will come back. And I promise I won't be so. Um, all over the map. I, I tend to get so excited about my topics that I, I, I can't stay focused on, <laughs> you know, it's adult onset ADD. What can I tell you? <laughs> Just a little crazy here. But, no, um, really, but this has been so informative. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So you'll be back, right? 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 It's a deal. <laughs> okay, my friend. Thanks so much for listening, folks. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.